Amen. Well, happy Thanksgiving, Fellowship family. It's great to have you with us. We also have more watching online tonight because of the snow. So welcome to Wisconsin. It's good to have you here. And we're continuing, actually concluding our series on the book of Jude. If you have your Bibles with, me, with you, uh, open the, up them with me to uh, Jude. We're going to be looking at this, the, the uh, final passage in, uh, in the book. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to start with chapter 24. Or not chapter. There's only one chapter in Jude. There's verse 24. And we're going to read it together, Okay. So read out loud together here and at home. You can do that, okay? So read it along with me so that we can listen to it as we read it um, and, and say it together. Okay, you ready? Hello, everyone with me? Good, okay. So say it with me. Here we go. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy... To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. We'll be concluding our service with this. Uh, service isn't over, though. So uh, as we look at this, as we look at this, think about that. When the body of Christ says things and, and uh, confesses things about who God is and what he is willing to do in us, it ought to bring us comfort. This message that Jude gave was a message of warning, a message of warning that false teachers, teachers had come into that church that he was writing and began to uh, distract them and, and draw them away from the lordship of Jesus and ultimately to do life how they wanted to do life and really to disregard who Christ is and what he can do in our lives. And this passage just reminds us that it's not gonna be us at the end that we give glory to. It's going to be all about God. It's gonna be all about what he's done. And that key word there is to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before him. Uh, Paul would write to the church in Ephesus, these almost these same words, that it's, the, it's God who is going to do this in you. And so we're to be people who are responsive to the work of God in our lives, which means that we're, we're not sleeping, we're awake. We're, we're not unaware, but we're aware of what he wants to do in our lives, and we're responsive to his leading. So it's with this, then, that we're going to look at the previous passage that leads up to this, and it's going to teach us, then, how to live blamelessly in a broken world. And wasn't the world at the time of the first century there that Jude wrote, where it wasn't the world, wasn't even the church broken? And in the 21st century, isn't the world and the church broken, it is. And yet we're called, we're called to be responsive to the work of God in our lives, that he's the one who is going to do this. He's the one who's gonna present us blameless because he's keeping us. We have a God who keeps us. Okay, so let's look at, let's look at this passage. It begins in verse 17 and we'll finish to verse 23. And we're gonna see in the major points of this of how to live blamelessly is we need to remember what Jesus told us, who he is and what he told us to do. Secondly, we need to remain in his love, that love that reminds us who he is and who we are in him. 
And then we need to be people who contend with each other, not, not actually fight. You're talking about contend for the faith. We enter the struggle that it is in a broken, corrupt world, in, a, in even a temptation to compromise and to walk away from the Lord, to contend for each other as the body of Christ. And these are all things that we're called to do together, not alone. Satan knows that we are suspect when we're isolated and alone, just like any predator does. Move it away from the pack and you've got an isolated option, a target. And and so we need to be people who embrace what God has done and joined us together to be a church family, to live together blamelessly in a broken world. Let's look at that first one in verse 17. And it says, to live blamelessly, we're to remember the words of Jesus. Okay, let's look at this. Verse 17, it says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there would be scoffers uh, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. Okay, so he's just reminding us, look, the apostles told us this would happen. Where did the apostles get it? Jesus, the very words of Jesus. And if you look in the book of Matthew, in Jesus is one of his final teachings of his disciples. It wasn't a large group of people. It was a smaller, close-knit group of people who would ultimately become apostles for him. He said in Matthew chapter 24, he said, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Here he's saying, look, contend for it. When I I am raised and, and resurrected, there's going to be a time where you'll experience persecution. You'll experience suffering. You'll experience rejection. In John chapter 15, he said, if the world hates you, don't be surprised. They hated me first. So Jesus was no stranger to rejection, to resistance, to rebellion. And the same church that Jude was writing to was under that. And and that's why Jude would say, remember, the apostles, they, they remind us what Jesus said, that this is going to happen. And so how do we then remember what Jesus said? What what has Jesus told us? How can we learn what Jesus has said to us? Well, we open up the scriptures and and we refresh our minds on what Jesus said. What you do not refresh your mind upon, you will forget. Trust me, it happens as you continue to grow older. Your memory needs to be refreshed. And that's why it's so important to, to have an open Bible on a daily basis in your life. One of the things that we talk about a lot is for you not just to take my word for it, but to be familiar with the word of God in your life. So you're not passive, just listening like, like, uh, you know, an episode on Netflix to the message, but you're someone who's engaged, which means, can I suggest something? You bring your Bible and you open up the Bible so you can see it there. No guilt and shame. I mean, we have them at the doors if you wanna go pick one up if you don't have one. Uh, Because we want you to have an open Bible. We have a daily devotional that opens up the word so you can get in the word on a daily basis. Because so that you would know and therefore remember 
the word of God in your life. Another thing that I do is, is I try to memorize verses of the Bible. I love what Psalm 119 reminds us. It says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I remember when I was just sharing with a friend many years back, I was sharing with him about an area of temptation in my life. He says, well, well do you know what God's word says about that area where you're being tempted? With me at the time, it was anger. I was just very easily angered. And I, I would just internally, I would kind of burn with anger. And, and he said, well, why don't you show, where, what does God's word say about anger? And I looked up God's word specifically in the book of Proverbs, and I put to memory four or five verses that when I got tempted to be angry, I could just go, well, this is what God says about anger. This is what anger will do to me. This is the damage around me that anger will do. It just reminds me what God's word says. And then I took out and I downloaded an app. It's called Bible Memory App, okay? It doesn't get any more simple than that. But if you go and look for that, I, I uh, downloaded that about seven years ago. And I started putting different verses and then passages to memory. And I used to have them on cards and I would have a whole stack of cards that I would just refresh my memory and then I got beyond cards and so I had to go store it digitally. I'm now up to over 700 verses that I've been able to memorize on that. I would have never done that. I would have never done that. I'm not elevating myself to make you think that I'm perfect. That's not what I'm saying except to say, you can do it. You can hide God's word in your heart. You, so that you remember it, what you do not refresh in your mind, you will forget. And especially in a moment where if you don't know the scriptures, when you're tempted, you won't know what to do because you won't know what God says about that. We need to be people who are structured, who are built on the word. And we need to remember the word of Je words of Jesus in the word of God. Secondly, this is mentioned to us to remember what Jesus said because Jesus said, don't be surprised. If you're going to follow me, I'm going to take you to places that are not rock star places. They're going to be places where you're rejected, where you're resisted, where, where the word of God is rebelled against. And if you follow me, you're gonna be lonely there. And, and that's why James and Paul, and especially Peter, especially in 2 Peter, would say, do not be surprised if you suffer. Why? Because the person we follow, Jesus, suffered. And if you're his, you will suffer too. And so this shouldn't take us by surprise. And you know, some of you have come to us here at Fellowship, and you've come to us with church hurt. Someone didn't love you well at another church, and it caused great hurt. But you know what? You didn't give up on the church. So you eventually came here and found fellowship and you're now thriving in love in a church family. Others of you had gone to a church and that church over the years quit preaching the word of God, quit standing on Christ alone and started to become a social club. And you left that church and you found a church where truth and grace are, is proclaimed. And, and what, what, the, the, what this passage is telling us is you need to realize that this can happen in your church. Even 
this church. And I preach under the authority of the word of God. If you struggle with something that I preach, you can go to the word and go, you know, as I read that, I don't know that I see that. And I'm not gonna go, well, stop, I'm paid to do this. I I can't do that, because it's the word of God. It's under authority, and I'm even under authority under the elder team, and I submit to the leading of the elders. And if they hear false doctrine taught by me, or maybe a side issue of truth that I make the central issue, issue of faith, they can correct me. So this is a picture that we're being called into a community of believers who live remembering the words and the way of Jesus. So we're to remember the words, remember what Christ said. Secondly, remain in the love of God, to contend for the faith. In a broken world, we need to remain in the love of God. Let's keep reading here. It says in verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Okay, so there's a whole bunch of statements here, but one that really stands out. It's in, if you know grammar, it's in the imperative. It's the command. This, out of everything, all these things will lead to, this is the most important. And it's right in the middle there. See in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. If you know that word keep, it's been here all along in Jude. In the beginning, you've been kept for Christ. It reminds us who we are. In the end, now he who is able to keep you, right? Here, he says, keep yourselves then. Uh, Keep yourselves in the love of God. It's almost like uh, someone saying, look, remain. Remain holding on to the hand of God. As as Jesus said in, in John chapter 15, he said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, cut yourself off from me. You're nothing. This is my Father's will that you you bear much, proof, bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples, right? That was, that's the picture. We remain on the vine, attached to Christ. I am the vine, you are the branches. Now, how do we remain in the love of God? How do we remain in the love of God? Look at this, that's where you get those other three phrases. First one, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. Building yourself up on the most holy faith is more of an architectural word that Jude chooses here. It's basically that you've built yourself on a firm foundation, the foundation of Christ. Your life is centered on Christ and you're practicing out what you say you believe. One of the things I love about um, child dedications here is, is how much we just, we just go, do you see what's happening here? We've got parents who are committing their family to be a faith family, one that's centered on Christ, to live Christ inside and outside of the house so that, so that when, the, when the child is growing up in that house, they know and can learn who, who Jesus is and they can see mom and dad loving each other well and leading their children in the way of Christ. That's what it means to build up a family in the most holy faith. But, it, but you can't lead others if you're not leading yourself or should I say, being led by Jesus, 
yourself. And that means that you're growing in your faith. That means that you're exercising your faith. It's not just something that you kind of identify with and call it as, you know, that's something who I am on, you know, five down from who I view myself as, but really it's, it's who you are. You're someone who's exercising your faith in Christ. That's a daily thing, not, not something that's done ever so often. That means you're thoughtful about what it looks like to, to be someone who follows Jesus. Secondly, look at that. It says praying in the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what kind of prayer does this look like? Well, this recognizes that you're not alone. Even in that most intimate experience with God in a relationship with him, in your prayers, you're not alone. The Holy Spirit, as we talked about in our series on the Holy Spirit, is interceding for you. When you pray, he is with you. He's he's representing you before the throne of God. He's leading in you. He's speaking into you. So prayer in the Holy Spirit is a little bit different than Dear God, I want a new car, I need a new job, and I need more money. It needs, to be hel- it needs to be more than help us all have a good day. Thank you for the food. It has to be something that we go deeper, that we, we listen to his leading. We speak in response to him. We align our lives. We ask questions. God, what do you see in me that doesn't look like Jesus? Show me that. Show me that so I can look more like Jesus, so I can turn from that, repent of that, and follow you. See, that's prayer in the Holy Spirit. You're allowing God access to the innermost part of you. It's more than just a request. And by the way, some of you know how relationships break down. Relationships break down when we move from the relationship to transactions, Honey, do this, do that, do that, do that, do that, and set up the Christmas tree tonight. Okay, that's, that, those are transaction, trans, trans, I saw, even in our smaller crowd, I saw some nudges happening here already. But, but what we're talking about is there can be that, and definitely we have a heavenly father who wants to give good things to his children who ask. But, but it has to move beyond that and to be expressing your faith to him in prayer. Because when you do that, when you do that, it's your love for God enlarges. You start listening to him. You start following him through prayer. You give him time to speak to you. You give him attention to, li- to listen to him and to follow him. So we have building yourself up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. And by the way, we talked about opening up your Bible and remembering the word of God in your life. Those two things, those two things, they're not profound things, but they're main things. And the main things of your walk with Christ are the plain things. Talk to me about someone who is growing in your faith and I'll say these two things are happening. They're in the word often and they pray. They've learned how to pray beyond a God just do this, don't do that in my life. And I will show you someone who is growing. It doesn't seem like this is all that difficult or all that profound. I mean, you didn't have to brave the snow to hear this message tonight. But it's that we forget it. It's that we would rather spend four hours watching sports than we would 
15 minutes in God's word. I mean, why is that such a struggle? Because there's a resistance in us to stay the same, to not be changed, to just stay low key on this whole faith thing. And yet you have the very presence and power of the Holy Spirit in you. If you put your faith in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you to remind you and to remain in his love. Look at that last thing that it says. It's after, in verse 21, that word waiting, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. This is the great joy. This is the great expectation that someday Christ will return for his bride, the church. That someday all wrongs will be made right. That someday God will restore all the brokenness to reflect the glory and the beauty of of everything that he is and all that he has for us for eternity. And we are to be people who are not hung up on this world or hung over in this world that we can't receive that or wait for it or expect it or anticipate it. Our hearts ought to long for the return of Christ. That's how we remain in, in, in the love of God. Because we're expectant, we're kept for Christ. That's our true, our true God. That's the one who will be returning for his church. Remain in the love of God. And then this last part, rescue the lost. This sounds out of place. So we've got to read the passage so that we can get perspective. Look at this, verse 22. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Okay, there's three groups of people here that are being addressed that the church is to contend for. In other words, if we are a family, which, is, which we are through Christ, we're brought into the family of God, then we need to contend for each other. If you're doubting, I, I, the, the other word besides mercy is condemnation. And I know all about that word because I grew up in the church. And I remember, especially in youth group, when I had questions, questions just weren't tolerated in that youth group. It was quiet. Okay, don't ask that question. You need to be a person of faith and not doubt. Well, <laughs> I grew up, I became a pastor. And I had doubts. And yeah, the, the question, not doubts of, do I believe in God and has Christ lived for me and died for me and rose again for me? I don't have those doubts. But I've had times when I've gone through pain and suffering that I wondered if God cared. How do you handle that? When people are going through difficulties, when they're doubting, when they're struggling to hold on to the hand of the Lord, when they're tempted by all the things of this world, what are we to do? It says, have mercy on those who doubt. That first group, that first group, that comes out in relationships, doesn't it? It comes out when we have conversations. And we need, as the body of Christ, to be aware of what's going on with each other. We don't need to have a transactional, you come in, we'll see you next week. We need to be the body of Christ that knows each other and learns about what's happening and shares, goes out on limb and shares what's happening in our lives. So these conversations can be places where you can be safe to doubt. See, the truth is, as God entrusts more and more people here at Fellowship to us, that we have people all over the spectrum of doubt and belief. 
And, and God is working in all of our hearts. And he's growing us closer to, uh, to him. And he's brought us here to learn more about him and lean into who he is. Some of us, when we hear who God is, we will put our faith and trust in him because it's what we've been looking for all along. Others would go, I don't know, I've got some questions on that. I don't know yet. Should they be welcomed here? Absolutely, why? Because we give mercy to people who doubt. Then there's others. Look at the others here when it says, Save others, verse 23, by snatching them out of the fire. Okay? Where do we see this in Scripture? Well, we certainly see Jesus. We see Jesus leaving the 99 to go after the one. You know, this is who Jesus is. This is why he came. He went, he went, he seeks the lost. He left the 99 to pursue. And we, as the church, need to be people who pursue. We need to pursue people who are, are, who are lost and who have left. Not with shame and guilt, but we're willing to engage what they're going through. Here, another picture is the best I can show it. In all the commands to, to rescue people who are, who, who are lost, we're called to engage it much like a, a firefighter. And you think about the firefighter, they have to have the protection on themselves, right? To, to engage the flames to save someone else. They have to protect themselves so that they can go in and put their life at risk. We had a couple here at our church many years ago and they came upon a burning pickup truck right off of here 6th Street and, and uh, Indian Hills. And uh, Alan and Cindy Wynn were the couple and they looked and they saw flames coming out of this truck. They were the first to arrive there. And they didn't think twice. They just engaged the flames. They just, they just grabbed the two people who were in, in the pickup truck and pulled them out and their arms just got burned, second and third degree burns by pulling that out in just seconds it happened. But they saved the two people in the pickup truck. Though both of those people, after they recovered, just thanked them so much for saving their lives. But you know, what is that? They, weren't, they were just going home on a night like tonight and they saw a car and they chose not to drive by. They engaged the flames. And they were at risk for that. But, but that's what the church is called to do. To engage the flames if some of us go there. And you know, I... I have friendships here at Fellowship that I've said this to. I said, if you ever walked away, you know, I'd be at your front door. You know that, don't you? So you can't do this without being, you know, I'm going to engage the flames. I'll, I'll show up. Some of you I've said that to, not because you were threatening to walk away, just because I, I mean, we were, we were talking about that, right? We need to be people who are committed to each other and rescuing each other. Some of those events will be heroic. Others of them will just be a daily walk, keeping one believer from falling off a ledge through a walk, through a conversation. But again, controlled and valued with mercy 
as you speak the truth. See, those two things God is full of. He's full of grace and he's full of truth. And when you restore someone, you, you want to show them the picture of restoration, not correction, but restoration because you value them and, and hold out truth with grace. One of my favorite passages on this is when Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica in the First Thessalonians 5.14, he says, and we urge you brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. We have to be patient with each other. But, but no matter where they're at, whether they're idle and they're just watching things pass them by and they're not following and exercising their faith, we admonish them. Follow Jesus, get in the faith, get in the game. Exercise your faith. That's how you'll grow in your deeper love for him. Encourage the faint-hearted. There's gonna be a lot of insecurities happen when you realize your life is no longer about you. It's about Jesus and following him and getting over yourself to follow him. You're going to need encouragement. And the body of Christ is here to do that. And there are people who are learning to trust God in areas that they've controlled for all their lives. And it's in God's hands. They're much better in God's hands than it is in yours. And we're to help people show them how they can, they can find their strength in Christ. But being patient with them all realizes that we're all in that process. We're not where we want to be, but we're further than we used to be. And it's through the patience and the mercy of God that we can contend together in the faith. So this is the three points of how to live blamelessly in a broken world. Remember the words that Jesus said. Remain in the love of God. Rescue the lost. So would you stand with me as we close? Because I'm going to close with the passage we began with as I bless you with this prayer as Jude closes. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. God bless you, church.